Hey, FCCMA podcast listeners, this is Steve. This episode, episode number 85, can you believe we have 85 episodes, um, is with Tim Hemstry. You probably have never heard of Tim Hemstry because he's the county administrator for Loudoun County. Wait, Loudoun County, that's not one of Florida's counties. It's not. It's from Virginia. And you know, at the beginning and the ending of each episode, we ask you to send in suggestions of people that you think would make great guests? Well, this was one of those suggestions. And Tim is formerly from Florida, worked in Florida at Miami Beach. But there were two things that came out of this interview that I think you're really going to find interesting because I did. The first one was in making career decisions, considering the size of the government you're going to work for, really changes the dynamics of the type of leader you're going to be, whether it's a small town, medium size, or large. Tim had some really interesting insights into that as well. He also had some interesting insights about the investment in internal communications as a way to break down silos, as a way to improve efficiencies. Um, This guy is really, really top-notch. If you're only going to listen to one episode uh, this month, this would be the episode to listen to. Stay with us. Greetings, I'm Steve Van Core, and this is the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host. And each episode, we interview a city or a county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful in insights into the operations of local government here in the Sunshine State. You know, for months now, I've been asking you, if you're listening to the show, to please send me suggestions for those you think would be fantastic guests. Well, uh, and I and I ask you, and I'll ask you again real quick, if you have such a suggestion, whether it's yourself or somebody you know, send me an email at svancor at vancorjones.com, or you can just simply message FCCMA on Facebook. Well, today's guest is not in the Sunshine State. He's from uh, the State for Lovers, Virginia. Uh, Tim Hemstreet is the county administrator of Loudoun County, uh, Virginia. Now, he does have roots in Florida, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, so, Tim, thanks for being on the show all the way from Virginia. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Well, so you you worked in Florida in Miami Beach. Um, and I can't imagine how different life must be for you up in Virginia now versus Miami different. Beach. Uh, so from a, from a governance point of view, you're now county administrator up there. You worked for the city of Miami Beach. So you made a double transition from city to county and from Florida to Virginia. A uh, couple of insights. So what, what's different so that our city managers can listen to this and go, oh, OK, that, that's that's kind of an interesting uh, perspective. Yeah, so I think the the biggest difference for me is that the you know up to two members of the governing body can talk to each other without having to be in a public meeting, and so uh, that does make a big difference. For, in what uh, Well, it, they're able to talk privately, so members of the of the board uh, are able to talk privately about issues that may concern them uh, if they've got uh, something they want to work out, then they're able to do that. Uh, and I think that's just very different from how the dynamic in Florida often gets set up uh, with local government. So, you know, it's you know not too dissimilar from how the, in the state legislature, uh, the state yeah, it works. It works well in the legislature. You have an amendment, right? Yeah. 
And so that that helps because you're no longer in the middle of it. So many times in Florida. Uh, oh, so you as a city like, manager don't have to play shuttle diplomacy as much. Correct. They can talk to each other directly. So I think that's a that's a pretty significant difference, uh, which I think is I think is better. So. And it's and so I was going to ask you, uh, in your opinion, that worked makes government work a little better, because because you know I, I watched the legislative process intimately, right? And you, you're you you Tim, you're running a bill that may impact people in my district. I can walk across the hall and say, Hey Tim, this is a great bill. However, with these modifications, I can support it. Without them, I can't. But you can't do that in, in city or county government in Florida. By the way, we love the fact that the legislature has different rules that they impose <laughs> on us versus them. Yeah. Um, but do you find any any problems with that? In other words, or do issues get around you that you're not uh, aware of that pop up too late? Uh, you know, I I have not experienced that. I, I think you know one of the one of one of the things that we need to recognize as as administrators and managers is that because of this thing called the internet and social media and everything like that, often as county staff or local government staff, we're one voice of many. And so whether those elected officials are talking to each other or whether they're talking to constituents or advocacy groups or any number of people that have an interest in whatever is on an agenda or is before the governing body, we need to recognize they're talking to a lot of people. And so I I don't know that there's a drawback to them being able to talk one-on-one with each other uh, when they are talking to so many other people and, and staff being just one point of input along, along the way, whenever something's being developed. You know, it's funny, Tim, because I, I, I'm obviously intimate with the sunshine, what we call the sunshine laws in Florida. Yeah. And I really don't understand the purpose for saying two people who serve on an elected body cannot speak also, it's also unrealistic, right? We, we, it is. I won't name the city. We we had a city commissioner, two city commissioners dating. Now, who believes for a microsecond that they did not talk business at all in violation of the Sunshine Law? But it almost seems to be one of those things that sounds good, sounds you know good governmenty, but is an impediment to working out compromises, working out details not surprising somebody and, and moves things along smooth. Do you understand any of the, or can you rationalize why someone would think it's a good idea they can't talk? Well, I think the the understanding that I always had is a, a lot of what you just said, which is the, 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 the desire to avoid uh, kind of quote unquote, the backroom deal. So if, if board members are not permitted to talk to each other, then they really can't engage in those kinds of conversations. So I, I, you know, fully appreciate the reasons for why uh, the Sunshine Law or that specific restriction was put into place. Uh, the challenge, though, is that it, 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 there's often little intangibles that get worked into that where uh, there may be a conversation with that's misunderstood between two elected officials and you know, if they're not able to talk to each other to work through that, a simple misunderstanding can 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 become a significant a big blow. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, and and here's the other problem. As I see it, is okay. You're Tim Hemstreet. You're the county administrator, right? Now I want to talk. I'm a county commissioner, and I want to talk to a fellow county commissioner. I got to go through you. 
Now, we all are familiar with the game of telephone. So I say, Tim, I got this idea for how well, we we're really not run. supposed to do that, right? Right. Well, but <laughs> I can say to you as county administrator, I have an idea about how we're going to fund sidewalk improvements because it's a really big deal in my community. Um, you know, what do you think? And you'll say, well, let me let me touch base with the other commissioners and find out if this is something that we can open up. And you could do that lawfully. Yes. Uh, yes. Staff. As long as you're not attributing or becoming a conduit. Sure. Right. And then you, you misstate it. Hey, so-and-so wants yep. to raise taxes to build sidewalks and somebody's super anti-tax. Yep. I'm going to vote against everything. So by the time we get to the commission meeting, this person's already for bear had a, you know, and, and here's what bothers me too. You, you're empowering unelecteds. And I'm a big believer in city manager, former government. I think putting experts in that position is great. But now you're empowering somebody who's not accountable to the voters. Yep. And so a, a minor error, which is likely to increase, um, does because you had an intermediary. So that that that's problematic. And you found it works. You haven't had any problems with them speaking to each other. No, I think it's much healthier, to be honest with you. I, they, they're able to have their own private conversations. Now, they're still required to, to make their decisions in public. They're still required to have a dialogue about anything that's, that's in front of them in public. They're required to vote in public. They hear public comment. All of that's on the record. So their decision-making process is still very much out in the open. Uh, but if they've got something they need to settle or something they need to talk about privately, they it allows them to do that. Now, more than two is not acceptable, right? So they can't have a meeting. So it's not like if there's three that show up, one of them needs to leave because they only two of them can talk. But but that does allow them to work some things out if they. So there are some bumpers on this. They can't meet in secret and private and say, okay, well, it's all agreed. We'll get up there and just be pro forma. But it is, it does, that sounds like a fair compromise. It allows for the free flow of information so people can work things out, uh, mitigate misunderstandings, and move an agenda forward without. And you're yeah. right, it cleanses because at the end of the day, your vote, your conversation, public input is all is all within the public realm. Yeah. And if we think about it, these are these are individuals that have been elected by the public to represent them and to make these decisions on their behalf. Um, I, you know, so in Virginia, it's just been very helpful for them to be able to talk to each other. I mean, that the trust has been placed in them just by the voting process and the fact that they're elected is, I yeah. think, is really significant. And so. To, to to have these folks really put themselves out there, because let's face it, being an elected official in, in 2022 in the United States, almost 2023 in the United States, is really difficult. You know, it, it, there's there's always somebody that wants to criticize you and then things get leveled at you as an elected official. They go after your family. So I've got a lot of just respect for anybody who's willing to go out there, run for election and become an elected official. Uh and in, in to kind of have that constraint placed on them that they can't talk to their colleagues uh, unless it's being recorded and it's in a public meeting. I mean, well, it it, it almost presumes you're, you're a criminal, right? It's like, hey, and you've been elected. Thank you for putting your head out there, putting your neck on the chopping block, willing to serve, willing to put your family through this, willing to have 12 idiots on social media attack you constantly. Oh, and by the way. <laughs> you can't have a casual conversation in the elevator about an upcoming agenda item because you're corrupt and the presumption of corruption, and, and as we see it often backfires, right? So I'm sure I'm going to be really popular with the press for, for saying this, but 
you know, I think you, to your point, it, it makes things work a little smoother and it doesn't default to, hey, you're a criminal, so let's treat you like one. Yeah. Because you know, what you can say, well, I was going to do this last, but while we're on the issue of communications, you also have another uh, perspective, uh, you know, where the rest of the world's zigging, you want to zag, which is, you know, we have a city council uh, form of government in most cities, I believe in Florida, if not all, where the city manager is the conduit. It's like a, it's like an hourglass, right? All the ideas, thoughts, and conversation from the city council, uh, whatever you call a county commission, whatever those various bodies are called, village council, uh, flow through very limited number of people, usually the city manager, treasurer, clerk, and or the attorney. And then from there, it disperses back out to the staff. And you're not a big believer in that. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I've always believe so yeah so i've i did come up and i have come up in the council manager forum uh but i have always my perspective i guess has been it's healthier for the governing body and members of the board or the commissioners or council whoever it is to be able to talk directly with the staff and All you know staff? I, I don't have any restrictions on who they talk to. They can talk to whoever they want. And so uh, I, you know, in Loudoun County, uh, we have about uh, a little over 4,000 full-time employees, um, another 5,000 part-time employees. So it's a, it's, you know, it, in, in comparison to a lot of organizations, it's fairly sizable. Uh, it, it, but I, I tell the staff and I tell the elected officials, you know, the rule is really, ask whatever questions you want. The thing that you can't do is you can't task, you know, so. Okay. That, that's the bright line because I was going to say, Hey, my garbage didn't get picked up. Yep. I'm calling the director of uh, trash hauling and and make sure my garbage gets picked or my neighbors or my girlfriends or whatever. Yeah. So they can't task anything. You know, they, if, if there is a desire to ask the staff to do something, then that does have to come back to the board and the governing body needs to make that make that decision or, or give that determination. Uh, however, the fact that they can go and ask a question, I mean, so for example, uh, if they've got a question on the status of a building permit, there's no reason for that to come through county administration. They they should just go ahead, ask their question directly to the building department. What's the status of this building permit? Or what's going on with um, with the trash pickup, right? So that, while they can't, they shouldn't, they can't direct that the 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 refuse hauler or whatever change their route or anything like that. Why can't they say, "Hey, my pickup day is Wednesday. Typically, they come and and pick up my garbage before nine in the morning. It's four p.m. and they haven't been out here yet. What's Why going on? What's going on? Why should that question have to come through me? I mean, well, so let me let me let me play devil's advocate yeah. because um, if I'm a frontline worker, I'm the head of this you know regional stormwater, and uh, I get a call from a city commissioner who says, you know, I just just have a question for you. Why does my yard keep flooding? Well, and you you made the thing well before we were talking before the show. You said, well. As citizens, they're allowed to pick up the phone and call. But now that you're elected, you're in a position of authority. Uh, you you fund my budget. You fund my department. You vote on the budget to fund it. If I get a call saying, hey, why is there wastewater rolling down the street? I promise you the next day there's going to be somebody there. Now, that's good, right, because it's a problem that needs to be fixed. But there might be eight other streets with the same problem. But guess whose street I'm going to first because I got a call from a city council. 
right? City council member. How do you how do you prevent against that? Because that has a, a sort of a corrupt development. Yeah, so we have a pretty well-established communications policy. And so if there's something like that that requires an action, then the direction to staff is to go ahead and route that back up through their department director. Uh, and then okay. that gets routed back up to me through an assistant administrator or somebody like that. And so the way, and that is how we would handle that. And so if we did have in 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 the hypothetical you're putting out there, a number of streets that had wastewater, they use the word wastewater, not stormwater, but wastewater that is coming out on the street, that is something that we would want to go and address immediately. And so, uh, again, how we got that information, I think, is less important than how we react to it. Well, and, I like because it cleanses the process if it has to go. So if I get a call, let's just use a simpler, hey, could you tell me why my trash hadn't been picked up? You know, normally the next call would be, hey, Joe driving a truck, go by 913 Elm Street and pick up that trash, but you're saying if it's action-oriented, it's got to go back upstream, no pun intended. And at that point, the person might say, well, yeah, but don't do 913 Elm Street first, do the whole, all of Elm Street. Yeah, go back and check the whole route, what's going on with the route. And uh, if it's late, then we'll go ahead and provide that information that the truck broke down, whatever the issue is. I mean, uh, or they, you know, their driver didn't show up, whatever, this is the plan for how that's going to get addressed. So well, and, and when you're more upstream, to... let's just say it gets to your desk, you're going to be more mindful than a frontline worker would be of, whoa, 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 not doing any special favors for Commissioner Jones, um, but Elm Street did not get picked up. So let's make sure we get a truck over there by the end of the day to get Elm Street taken care of so that we're not in a, because you're going to have a higher view of the playing field, right? And you're going to- And by the way, check the streets next to it, check Maple, check Oak, make sure that they got picked up and we don't have the same problem that's broader than that. Okay, so that's how we balance that act, which is you can't ask tasks. You can't say, come please pick up my trash, but you can ask questions. And if that leads to a task, that's got to come back upstream. That's correct. Uh, to the appropriate department head that would have handled it had it come in through you. That's correct. And that's an interesting thing because in a in a city that has what did you say eight thousand employees? They got four thousand full time and about another five thousand part time. Yep. Yeah. So with with nearly nine thousand people, you would be doing nothing but playing shuttle. And then yeah. we have counties that do that, right? Yep. Um, so they can't do this. So they kind of kind of deal deals with it in in um, in that way, which is which brings us to the other uh, subject. So I, I want to read this for the, for our audience because I I found the way you answered this question to be very um, fresh. I don't mean like fresh; you were being nasty, but like with, with like a, a a new viewpoint. I wrote, you know, what would you like? We would like to know about the intangibles, kind of things that resumes don't always re- reveal. And you went in a, in a direction that nobody ever has, which was, I believe, one of the key decisions people need to make in their career is determining the size of the organization they want to work in throughout their career. Tell tell us why you chose that as an answer, because I think that's really intriguing. Yeah. So what I've liked to do throughout my career is, uh, and, and you know, more so last 13 years since I've been here as a county administrator is, uh, you know, developing future managers. And so one of the key things that you need to understand about yourself is what size of organization do you want to work in? And when we talk about FCCMA and we talk about the opportunities that are in Florida or 
or like Virginia where I am now, or any other place, there is a wide breadth of sizes of organizations. And you kind of have to understand enough about yourself to understand what do you want to do during your day? What kinds of things do you want to have to handle? And what, who do you want to work with? You know, and so those are important things, I think, as an administrator and a manager coming up in the profession that you really need to understand. And I've got people that I've worked with who work in in small places that have a staff of of 10 people, uh, and they completely love that. They like the fact that they're going to have on a daily basis, they're going to go out and interact with uh, business owners, residents, they're going to go respond when they've got a broken water main. Um, they're going to help at that level of, of government. And, you know, whereas, you know, someone like myself, if I did that, by the time I got back to my office, I would have the assistant administrator, the department head, the division manager, the section lead in my office going, what in the world were you doing out there? Um, you know, did you not trust us to handle? So, so you're in a big organization. Mostly, what you're dealing with are the electeds, but you're dealing with department heads. You're dealing with division managers. And you're dealing with other governments. If you're, right. we we interviewed a woman who's a city manager of the city of Golf, G O L F. Um, I have to clarify that because you know we're right on the Gulf, so we have a lot of. Yep. Um, and it's smaller than many homeowners associations. And she literally says when she drives her golf cart around the community, if she sees someone's trash can was not brought back in, she'll bring it back in. So her day um, is filled with really the microcosms, right? Doing doing the job. Um, well, you're, it's highly unlikely the county manager of the county of Loudoun is going to be pulling people's trash cans in. Uh, even, even your department director isn't doing that. There, there's probably... Right. 3,000 subcontractors doing nothing but trash um, yeah. to, to, to use that. So, but how does that change? You know, I, what I find from city managers in county administrators, they love to do big projects, long-term projects, a lot of patience involved. Many of you never see to come to completion. You, you may begin one here, you may end another one there and without getting recognized for that. Is there any difference in that? There, I mean, you're, are you a pretty anonymous person in your job? Cause you're, you're, I try big- to be, I try to stay behind the scenes and uh, you know, yeah. I tell the elected officials all the time when things go well, they should be out there to take the credit for the community. Uh, when things don't go well, then that's my fault and I need to go deal with it. So, uh, and I, I try to live by that. Now, what that also means. And uh, if, people watched our meetings if something happens and it's we've failed i'll take responsibility with that publicly uh you know that's not something for the staff to bear now at least publicly now if something didn't happen that should have happened we'll go have that conversation behind the scenes and deal with it that way uh you know but i think the point though is i'm spending my day guiding things right so i'm not going to be the project manager that's out there that is making something happen or the project that you're talking about. And so when that project comes into to fruition, the people that deserve to be recognized in that case is the project lead, the staff that worked on that, that made it happen, and then the elected officials, right? So that's kind of how I have chosen to, to, to you know, do things that way. Um, 
And then if something doesn't go bad, then it's my problem. But I, but having said that, you know, when we talk about the size of an organization, uh, it really gets down to, hey, I, I spend most of my day uh, coaching executives or working with executives to say, okay, what kinds of issues are we dealing with? And then what are the strategies that we want to use to impact the outcome that that our, our elected body wants to see and our residents want to see in right. what's in the interest of the community. And so, which involves a lot of people in getting them moving in the right direction. Well, what's interesting about that too is, and I'm mindful of when I remember reading a long time ago, Bill Clinton's biography, when he said, you know, you're the president, you have all this ambition and all these things that you want to do. And on day one, the problems just start landing on your desk. And it was the first time I read and understood the concept that, if you're in a big office, and obviously if you're the president of the United States, you're yeah, in a very big right. office. Um, when things come to your desk, it's not because they're going well. That's right. <laughs> it's the unresolvable, complicated problems. Now, if you're the kind of person who loves all day long having problems brought to them, then a big county, big city is for you. But if you like being on the ground and fixing things before they break, because I got to believe, uh, Tim, that if if Somebody walks in your office and says, Tim, I've got a problem. It's because three layers down could not solve that problem. Yes. And it's and, up and to you. So, so, so my first reaction to that is, okay, well, why wasn't that solved three layers down? Which gets into another thing that I think is important about management, which is not to have people protecting turf, right? And so yeah, a, a lot of times in my experience, some of those problems, I'm going to say all, but some of those problems are because we've got two departments that have, or maybe three departments that share a portion of a problem that aren't willing to talk to each other and work it out. And so early in my career, a lot of those things would end up on my desk, right? So I've got department X, department Y, department Z, uh, each of them have a piece of a problem, but <laughs> each of them wants to exert their own authority and they're not willing to talk to each other and work it out. And so, you know, I, I can't deal with that, right? I mean, so I try to work with the staff and push down the chain. Hey, look, that's not an acceptable answer for a problem coming to my desk. And so the expectation is, hey, if if you got something that you can solve at the line level by calling somebody in another department that shares some authority with you, then go work it out. Because we don't want to deal with those kinds of issues. And quite frankly, our public doesn't want... The, to wait for a service problem to get resolved because Department A or Department X that shows up there first, you know, it can't fully solve the problem, isn't willing to call the other department to have them come fix it. I mean, so, you know, that's another piece of this, which I care about very deeply, is it's important for us as leaders to say to our employees, you, you know, we're all in this together. We're all part of the same team. You need to work out your issues. I mean, and that's that's critically important. The other piece that's on top of that is very often some of our departments have have uh, kind of uh, roles that are kind of opposite each other. So you could have a street that needs to be built and you know, capital construction, whoever it is, is constructing the responsible for the construction of the street. Right. The public works inspector comes out and says, hey, this doesn't meet code. 
you know, and then and the budget director comes in and says you're over budget. That's correct. So those three departments need to get together and figure out how to resolve it, you know, because the taxpayers look at it, all three of us and saying, hey, we they don't care. <laughs> yeah. So no, what's I, 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 I like I, I have three boys, two are twins and and, and then another and uh, all about the same age. Of course, the twins are the same age. And, you know, it's the old parenting. They're in the back of the seat fighting. And you're saying, I don't care who looked at who first. I don't care who's in whose zone. Work it out. Uh, now, of course, in management, that comes with guidance and, nope. and you know, uh, yeah. uh, uh, some a little bit of rule following and example setting and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but going back to I want because you, you you led into our fourth topic, which is team building and breaking down silos and breaking down walls. But before we leave that, there's also advantages to working in a small thing. And so I guess what you're saying is because it was interesting because our last guest went through a, a really traumatic um, uh, firing process. It wasn't that you just didn't let him go, which happens, as you know, frequently yeah. in this business. Yeah. But the person he who ironically had violated the Sunshine Law and he under oath had said so. And so this person sought retribution on him. And it, it wasn't just enough to fire him, but it, it went out to destroy his reputation and and uh, and then, you know, hurt him. And so he he got that. But he was saying, you know, the differences in the different types of organizations and, and how do you deal with that, right? So in your case, what you're saying is this size matters. And he his point was, I said, so what, what would you do differently? He said, before I accepted that job, I should have done a better job of vetting, is this the job I wanted? Well, and you're saying this kind of, it's ironic, you're saying the same thing from a, but from a different perspective, which is, hey, you just been offered a job at a really big city, but you love working in Wellington, which is a relatively small city. And so do you make that jump, right? Because, because it's a yeah. very different day. And what's very important about that is, and I've said this before, and because you always, sometimes I get it from some of the communities that around here that are smaller than us and say, you know, I couldn't do your job. And I'm like, well, I couldn't do your job either. I mean, you know, come on, let's face it. I mean, I uh, very different skill set. It's a very different skill set. That's exactly right. And and because I deal in a world of delegation, and so that means that I've got to have a fairly sophisticated set of communication loops and feedback loops and accountability measures, so that I I understand that hey gave direction or kind of said this is what I want to see happen on on this project mm -hmm. or this initiative, whatever it is, I need to be able to tell that that's what actually happened or that is what actually is happening uh, as opposed yeah, to- you don't want to be so far removed that if something breaks, you didn't know anything about it. Especially since, as I told you earlier, I'm going to take responsibility for it, right? So I'm not going to throw- More than just delegating doesn't mean washing your hands of something. Delegating means empowering, but keeping, keeping right. in the loop. Interesting. With, without micromanaging. So it's a different skill set, whereas in a much smaller place, you can be much more hands on on things that 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 are going on in the community because you, you have to. That, you, know, you don't have somebody that you can that you can delegate to. You have to go deal with it directly. Yeah, you have. We have cities that have eight employees and the city manager is the CIO, the PIO, yep. the chief budget officer. Um, uh, you know, it's like if you own a small restaurant, you're washing dishes. If yep. you if you're the CEO of Darden, uh, you're talking to executives who are talking about marketing programs for Red Lobster. 
yeah. whether or not we're going to have Danish lobster tails on our lobster fest next month, you know, kind of stuff. Uh, you're, but you're not, you're not dropping fries and hush puppies into the fryers. And, and I think that it's equally important for those who are listening, who are also an assistant uh, administrator, system manager, who yeah. want to be a deputy manager or assistant manager or administrator, because that also pertains to them. And so, you know, I've got an organization this size, I've got a deputy administrator and I've got four assistants, each of whom have individual lines of authority and responsibility. Uh, you know, I, we had talked about this, but for a while I worked in the city of Tamarack, Florida. Um, yeah, where my I was. Son, my son lives there right now. All right. So I was the only assistant. I was the assistant city manager there for a while. So I was the only assistant. And so the job there is very different than it was, say, when I was an assistant manager in the city of Miami Beach or when or for what my assistants here deal with. Uh, because of the size of the organization and what they're doing themselves. And so even, even if you're not the CAO and you're applying for an assistant CAO position, you need to give some thought to that as well. You know, because if you're if you're an assistant CAO and you're applying for the position and you're in a in a much smaller place, well, your role may be to run the council agenda and be responsible for the management of the manager's office. Um you know, and stuff like that, which are very in the legislative agenda, but which are very critical things. But that's a very different job from, say, you know, my public safety assistant administrator. Right. And so you you also need to think about that, too, in terms of what you want to do with your career and the type of work you want to you want to the kind of work you want to do every day. And you know what's interesting about that? I've noticed uh, I have several friends, obviously, in the business and a lot of folks who are nearing retirement and you would think would be, you know, hey, they're in their high 60s, early 70s. But of course, as you know, this is a labor of love. People who love local yep. government, as they should, um, will often move to a smaller community and say, you know, I really like the fact that I'm going to now represent a beach community. or I'm going to represent as a city manager. I've only got 16 staff where I used to have 16 department heads. You know, and there seems to be a little bit. I, I I don't know anybody off the top of my head who went the other way. Hey, they're 68 and they just got a job with a really big city because that's a lot of building growing. And it takes a while to to get to get into all those different avenues. Right. To, to yeah, learn. It does. The fire, the, the police chief, you know, we're building four different substations. We're in Tallahassee. We have one one station, you know, and, and a couple little little outlier substations. But I'm sure. Uh, in some of these bigger cities, they have 30 of them, you know. Um, so, so you talked also in, in, a, in a preview, and I love this, uh, because because of where you are in, in a large organization, uh, it's very important to you to have teams that, that are uh, cross-collaborative naturally. How do you build that kind of cut? What, what do you do to be, you know, obviously you can't just say wave a magic wand and say, hey, you guys talk better to each other. What, do you, what are some of the tools that you implement to get people to do that better? Yeah, that's a great question. It's 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 taken us several years to get there. You know, so it, it starts with me as the administrator saying that that's my expectation. And then whenever there's a uh, significant decision to be made, pulling in everybody uh, into that discussion that has, uh, you know, an interest in whatever that issue is and making sure that I'm being direct in soliciting everybody's opinion and series of options and 
and that sort of thing. So that's one aspect of it. So that leadership understands that I am serious about making sure that everybody who has an interest in an issue is represented and has the opportunity to express what they want to do. So uh, set a clear mark on the wall that says, this is what you're expected to do. Work out these problems together and collaboratively before you bring them to me. That's correct. Uh, and then also when you, I give assignments, often those assignments are given to multiple departments to say, hey, this is an issue that touches each of your departments. And my expectation is for you to go and look at this and collaborate on it and then come back to me with a series of options that are collectively uh, collectively put together. How do you enforce that? Uh, I don't accept anything from individuals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I've given out that kind of direction. Uh, certainly, uh, some people will try to so come. one department comes back and, hey, boss, can I talk to you for a quick second? You're like, no, no. no not so about I will talk to them. About your kids and their fishing trip or whatever, but not. You know, I'll talk to them, but typically I'll turn them around and say, okay, I hear you, but you need to go back and work that out with, with so your Lobby the other department to come on board with that idea because we're, we're not yep. going to tolerate it. So my plan was when the kids were in the backseat, I had a water bottle where I'd squirt them. Uh, actually, truth. <laughs> I got from learning to train the dog is like, just squirt her in the face with a little bit of spritz of water. She'll, she'll, you'll get her attention. So I did the car one day, kids were arguing. I just started squirting. I'm like, that. so that doesn't work in management. I take it. Yeah, I know we get in trouble if we do that. That would be, a oh, bummer. yeah, we don't squirt people with water, but, but we do turn them around and tell them, Hey, you need to, what I want you to do is go work together on this. So I need you to do that. Uh, and then we also uh, have a series of, um, of training uh, kind of programs that talk about this, the value of teamwork. Uh, we've built that into like we have this program called Lead Loud that uh, we we send all of our uh, managers through. And That's what I was going to ask you. Is it is it every quarter you do this or when I'm new, I got to go through this program? It's 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 both. So there's. Okay. We've got programs for both, uh, and that's something that we focus very much on, which is, hey, if you can solve the problem by calling the person in Department X, go call them <laughs> and go resolve it. If it's within your span of control to address. So we also work on those issues, too, as individuals, also getting people to understand if the decision can be made at your level, you should make it. Now, with that comes accountability. You're also accountable for that that, that decision, but you should make it. It is to your uh, benefit to also consult with anybody else at your level that you need to consult with, even when those folks are in other departments. And that's what's done. That kind of behavior gets rewarded in your organization. Absolutely. And the other kind Absolutely. Does, does not get rewarded. I've got to ask you a quick side question. Are you noticing, because I do, that with younger folks, and I'm a big fan of younger folks, so this isn't a criticism of it, but when you say, hey, go ahead and call Joe Smith, um, you later on, hey, did you call Joe Smith? Yeah. What do you say? Well, he sent me an email back. Wait, wait, did you, uh, the the medium is the message to me. Did you have a meeting with him? Not did you text, send him a text? Are you finding a little bit of that as as, as some growing pains with the younger kids? Uh, well, I think they definitely communicate differently. Uh, I, you know, I, as long as the outcome is the same, I don't really care. However, they're they micromanaging how they communicate. <laughs> no, as long as they have the communication and both, both of them agree that they have the communication, the same understanding. I don't care. That's that's up to them to decide. Uh, I am not going to manage that. Okay. Uh, you know, I, so I, I thought you were going to ask me a different question me. about. Huh? <laughs> so I need to lighten up about that. Is what you're telling me? <laughs> uh, well, well, I'll say it depends, right? Because if 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 there was a misunderstanding, 
Okay, now the next question to both of them is, okay, why was there a misunderstanding? And if the misunderstanding was due to the medium of communication they used, then the coaching moment is, hey, okay, once you got here and you kind of realized that maybe you're not on the same page, you needed to do something else. So you you could have spent your time because, you know, we're also time bound. So you could have spent your time going back and forth on text if that's what you wanted to do. But you, or you could have picked up the phone and talked to each other, or you could have done a Teams meeting or whatever it is, but you needed to do something else to make sure that both of you were on the same page. So how that happens, though, is not as important to me as it is that they both has come to some conclusion that they both understood each other. Um, Interesting. You now, you said you thought I was going to ask a different question. What did you think I was going I, to ask? Well, I thought you were going to ask the question of, is it, you know, with, with the generations coming in, uh, do we find that there's changing jobs a lot? Is what I thought you were going to ask me, and and sometimes we do find that, um, and that's a that's a whole different discussion. Um, but that's what I thought you were going to ask me. <laughs> well, let's let's touch on that because I remember, you know, um, um, I'm 61, and I remember when I started the big conversation when I was working on my master's. The big conversation in management was kids these days are no longer rooted to the big company that they, no. they they enter in and they expect to leave with that company. It's a lot more transition. That's why we invented the 401k and all these other products because yeah. of the transitional nature of the jobs. I, for one, don't see that much difference. Younger folks have always been uh, more mobile and flexible. But are you seeing that? And you have a big organization, so you have places you can move people. But are you seeing that as a as a trouble area or just something you're observing and just dealing with? I, I will say that I agree with you. I my or our experience or my experience has been that I we have not seen a lot of it, um, but we do see sometimes that uh, when we have uh, professionals entering the workforce that have not had a previous work history that sometimes they're not fully comprehending what they're getting into. And so, and there is actually minor, there I was in a university uh, discussion at some point in the last couple of months where there is some research on that now. So people, my generation, um, probably yours, we all started working before we were in high school. And so something like two thirds or more of generation X and baby boomers had jobs before they were in high school and worked at some point if they went to college you know, right. during during their college career, whereas for the current generation, it's less than a third. And so we have folks coming into school now that are picking majors that have no idea what it is to go to work and have to be at some place that it's at a state of time and then have to work the full day, um, not fully comprehending that, hey, uh, your work product needs to be your best product. It's not submitting a term paper for a grade. It's your work product needs to be your best product. And so, uh, you know, recently we've tried to recognize some of that and yeah. started to provide some opportunities for people to come in and, and do internships or other ways to get exposed to what it's like to work in the county, uh, trying to get around that issue so that people, when they come to workforce, they kind of understand what it is that they're getting into. So let me let me put a fine point on this, because that's an interesting statistic I had not heard that back in the 60s and the 70s, we had paper routes, we yep. had different kinds of jobs. Um, I insisted like my kids work the moment they turn 16. I'm like, I need you to be pulling in the same direction I am. I want you to get work experience. But 
so few do that part of our, um, you know, with new entries, co- smart kids, college degrees, sometimes two college degrees yep. have never served in a job a day in their life. And the very culture shock of showing up with a tie on at eight o'clock in the morning in an office uh, is, is, you know, terrifying, right? Um, and having to deal with that. Have you put any programs in place to, to deal with that? Because if you're saying only a third even worked at all, that means two thirds didn't work at all. They're smart. Well, they understand economics. They understand public works. They got a master's degree in, you know, civic engineering, uh, civil engineering, and but yet they've never showed up for a job before. How do you deal with that? So, you know, like I said, I came across this less than two months ago. <laughs> so, you know, but some of the stuff that has been recommended and some of the stuff we're kicking around here is participating in different programs that would allow folks to get get that experience and understand what it's like to work in the field as they're going through their, their educational experience uh, so that they don't come out of college, have a degree, and then realize when they go to work that what it's like to work in that field could be a little bit different from studying it. And they really don't like <laughs> what they're coming to do on a daily basis. And I was a chemistry major. And I remember being in a lab doing titrations, which think of the most boring thing you've ever done. It's only half as boring as doing titrations. Okay. And this guy offered me a job to come work at the summertime. And at that moment, I said, thank you. I really appreciate the job offer. Left the classroom, walked across and changed my master's, my, my bachelor's degree to be a degree in business. Because <laughs> so, the moment I realized I have to do this every day for a living. Exactly. And so that's what we're talking about, right, is having that work experience while you're still going through the education process or even before it so that you understand, OK, if I'm going to do this, this is what this means. Um, yeah. You know, so we, you know, because we see this, I will have uh, recruits in public safety who will show up, they'll be here a couple of days. And then now they, they may be college educated, they have some type of minor in criminal justice or something like that. And they show up and they realize, oh, this is not what I thought this was. Yeah, I'm going to be sitting at a desk in front of the computer all day, which you know, it's funny, one of my sons went to school for electronic dance music, and he said, I don't want to work in an office, Dad. It sounds really boring to me. Uh, and now he's an insurance agent, and guess what he does for a living? He works in an office every day, and he loves it, right? <laughs> he's like, it's really thrilling. It's exciting. I really get to help people. I get to help them find a product, especially with the insurance market collapsing. It's really cool. And I'm like, and you're sitting at a desk in front of a computer all day. He goes, yeah, and I love it. You know, so, so you're. it's a really good point that the environment, you know, throwing the fish into the water it's like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> I yeah. didn't know it was going to be like that. So what we're looking at is to the extent that we can is providing high schoolers um, and definitely undergraduate folks and, uh, you know, others the opportunity to come and experience what we're doing just so they have an understanding of, OK, if I continue with this major, or I continue with this career. This is this is what that work looks like when I get when I get there. Excellent. Excellent. Tim, this is this has been really a very informative interview. I have one last question to ask you. Sure. Um, you're the county administrator of Loudoun County, Virginia. Tell us something cool about Loudoun County that we may not know. It makes maybe make us want to visit. <laughs> well, uh, we are called DC's wine country. So we have over 48 wineries. Is that wait, is that okay? Well, you said wine country and DC. I thought it was W H I N E, but you're saying W I N E. I am. So okay. you 40, to, for our audience, I need to know the difference. We have more than 40 wineries, uh, as farm wineries, as well as farm breweries in uh, Loudoun County, uh, which are very, 
which are a lot of fun to visit, uh, a lot of different types of wine, uh, different types of experiences. Uh, you know, our western boundary is the Blue Ridge Mountains, so a number of these wineries are on on the Blue Ridge, and so you have excellent views to see down uh, into Loudoun. Uh, so uh, you contrast that with we're also the data uh, data center capital of the world. So we have more than 70% of the world's internet traffic comes through Loudoun County. So we've got this really? very interesting dichotomy of a very rural uh, rural areas of the county as well as uh, uh, some very technology. 70% work. of the world's data. So when I'm watching Netflix, it came through Loudoun County. Good chance that it has, yep. Well, wow. and you contrast that on Amazon or the wine. So I know you got to say it, but you know, I will say this. We have some wineries in Florida and the wine is terrible. How's the wine in Virginia? Uh, some of it can be very good. Some of it can be very good. Some of it is not good. Uh, so it really depends. And so it's a lot of fun to go and, and visit the different wineries and see, see which ones are good and which ones aren't. Any wineries there that are using stock uh, brought over by uh, Thomas Jefferson? Uh, not in, not in Loudoun. Uh, however, there are wineries down the Charlottesville area that, uh, I believe have some grapes and some vines that are that old. Tomatoes and peas and all that. Cause, uh, <laughs> I know you brought all that over. I was in uh, Spain and, and saw an olive tree that was planted the same year George Washington was born and it was still bearing fruit. So as is the leadership of, uh, our great first president. So, uh, Tim Hamstreet, thank you so much. Uh, for being with us. It's been happy uh, to be here. Thank fun, you for fun and informative. Folks, this is Steve Van Core, and this has been the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. If you have a question you'd like to submit or guests you'd like to recommend, send me an email at svancore at vancorejones.com or simply message FCCMA on Facebook. Thank you so much for being with us.